0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. With the holidays just around the corner, now is the time to order holiday cards for family and friends. Only this year... Why not create custom holiday photo cards quickly, easily, and affordably at simplytoimpress.com? Simplytoimpress.com is your holiday photo card headquarters with thousands of unique Christmas cards and other designs to choose from. All you do is upload your family photos, personalize the text, and you're done. Simplytoimpress.com prints your cards on your choice of premium card stock in just a few days and rushes them straight to your door. Maybe that's why the New York Times wire cutter named Simply to Impress their favorite photo card service. They even offer foil cards and hundreds of great holiday card designs for your business, too. Place your order today to save 30% and get free shipping. Just enter promo code DEAL at checkout. Save big on holiday photo cards today using promo code DEAL at simplytoimpress.com. That's simplytoimpress.com. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, i actually, uh, actually got a Brian Cashman event coming up, so got to go. He's, uh, he's doing that thing where he sleeps out for charity.
2: Oh, like, yeah, it's that time of year. Snowing and everything. Yeah, oh my God, yeah, it's snowing right now, right? Like, the biggest question in Yankees news right now, Michael Kay kind of touched up on it about his show yesterday. Uh, Manny Machado, the Yankees are quite serious about him, despite all the... Uh, accusations that he didn't run out some balls during the postseason. The most important games of the season, he was kind of dogging it, uh, and he's kind of owed around $300 million this offseason. What are your thoughts about the whole uh, Manny Machado situation when it comes to the Yankees? Well, I, to be honest with you, I don't understand how a
1: guy can be on that stage and be about to get that kind of contract and uh, decide that that's the time that it's not. he's not going to run out of ground ball or, you know, as he said, quote, not going to be Johnny Hustle. I mean, if I'm in that situation, I want to be Johnny Hustle more over, you know? Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can, you can take it easy once you get the big contract, I guess, if that's what you're going to do. Um, yeah, I, I find the whole situation curious. I mean, he's such a talented player. Um, obviously, the Yankees are interested in him. They're doing their due diligence. They're checking up on it. But, um, yeah, you know, Hal Simoner said yesterday, it's concerning. Um, it, I think that you have to, to wonder what what's going on there and if you're going to commit that kind of money and those kind of years to a player like that and he's not going to hustle in, in the World Series or the NLCS. Um, I, I think that raised a lot of questions. But that being said, you know, I was with Dylan Batanzas earlier this week and he, he openly lobbied for Machado, said he's a great teammate. They played together in the World Baseball Classic when they were with the uh, the Dominican squad a couple of years ago. And um, he, he says put on the full-court press and Machado could put them over the top. So I, I think that... Once you get him in that room, and people I've talked to uh, connected to the Orioles have said this too, he's the kind of guy that when he's on your team, you love him. But when he's not on your team, you might not like him very much. And, and so I think that that's part of what the Yankees are investigating right now. Uh, is this guy going to be a headache? Is he worth the problem and the money to, to come in You know, if there is a problem? Um, I, I, there's a lot of pieces to that equation there. And that not, plus, on top of that, their top priority is starting pitching. So um, he has a lot of pieces of that puzzle. I, I do think the Yankees are connected to Machado. I, I think it's real. Uh, but I think that he's also not their first move that they're going to make after signing Gardner and Sabathia.
2: A few years back, I even remember Manny Machado when he was with Baltimore. A lot of people uh, said he was a class act, really nice, down-to-earth guy, along with the great talent. So I feel like a lot of that stuff just came up this year when he moved to L.A., um, kind of got well, I mean he had incidents
1: with the Red Sox a couple of years ago too
2: so I that mean, is just,
1: true He worked some people the wrong way um, I think that this is part of the uh, the equation that you're going to get with Manny Machado I think uh, and as with most big stars um, you know I, I think that the attention is focused on them and A lot of
2: times things can get magnified. If the Yankees do, in fact, go out and bring a guy in like Machado, that more than fills the void at shortstop with Didi Gregorius out for most of next season with Tommy John surgery. Didi's set to become a free agent after 2019. Do you think if the Yankees go out and sign Manny Machado, that prevents a Didi reunion and re-sign in 2020 and beyond? because I think Machado could just as easily be
1: slotted in at third base. If I, if the Yankees sign Machado, my first question is, what does that mean for Miguel Andujar? Because, yes. uh, obviously, if you're going to get Gregorius back in June, July, or August, uh, he's going to be your shortstop, and Machado's going to have to move over to third base. So what does that do for Andujar? Do you unload him for pitching once you get Machado? Um, I, I think that's more where I would go there. You know, part of me wondered if the Yankees were even going to non-tender uh, Didi this offseason considering he's due for a raise, he's arbitration eligible and, uh, you know, I, I think uh, obviously you're, you're only going to be paying for half a season at the most, maybe even a month of the season for this guy. Um, and I'm sure insurance would pick up some of that because he's out, but uh, part of me wondered about that. Cashman was asked about it. He said that's not something that uh, they had talked about. Um, Said that the the hope is that Didi Gregorius will be a Yankee for years to come. So, um, you know, hoping is one thing, actually following through on it is another. But I think the Yankees would love a scenario where they had Machado
0: and Gregorius on the left side of the infield. As I said, I don't know what that means for Anduhar. Right.
2: And like you said, that would uh, mean more for Anduhar than it would Didi. And you also said that if Anduhar were to go, it would be a part of a big uh, pitching acquisition. The Yankees were in talks with the Indians about Kluber and Carrasco earlier in the month, but reports said that the Yankees wouldn't budge on Andujar and Florio. Do you think the Yankees are now out at the moment on uh, Corey Kluber, given that they won't budge on Andujar or Florio? No, well,
1: I think they just haven't matched up yet. I mean, there's, there's, it's a fluid offseason, and they're, they're certainly not on the clock here. Um, you know, there's no, there's no deadline between now and opening day to, to make a trade. So I think it, it's something that was definitely worth checking into. Um, I I think the Indians, as I would, if if I were the Indians, if I'm dangling a guy like Carlos Carrasco or Corey Kluber, I'm going to ask a lot. If I'm the Mariners and I've got James Paxton, I'm going to ask for a lot. So, uh, Andujar and Floreal, those would definitely be two of the first names I'd ask for from the Yankee farm system so far. Uh, Brian Cashman has been pretty good about not getting rid of those prospects, but, you know, he said time and time again, prospects are suspects until they make it. Andujar has made it at the big league level. We haven't seen Florial yet at the big league level. I, I'm sure he's got a bright future ahead, having seen him a little bit in spring training. I mean, he's an electric player. Um, the Yankees would love to keep him all for themselves. But um, as I said, starting pitching is uh, their top priority, and if they don't do it on the free agent market, they'll have to do it on the trade front.
2: And you mentioned James uh, Paxton in Seattle he seems like he'd be a good fit. The Yankees seem serious about going after a guy like him. Do you think that uh, a James Paxton deal would seem like a good fit if the Yankees could get them to budge on like their B-type prospects, like a Clint Frazier or a Chance Adams?
1: Yeah, I don't know if he guys has much trade value right now, to be honest. I mean, Frazier missed so much of the year and uh, had the medical issues that I think you have to really see him come back and play on the field for the Yankees. So You know, I thought that um, had he been completely healthy, Frazier might have been traded the deadline this past year, but because he wasn't, uh, teams weren't going to trade for a guy who had these lingering concussion issues and Adams you, you've only seen him a little bit at the big leagues but to be honest I, I don't get the sense that teams are exceptionally high on him so I mean, look you if you could package Chance Adams let's say in a deal for and get a James Paxton of course you do that um, but I think that uh, it's going to take more than that and I, I think that's why you haven't seen anything
2: done yet. You mentioned firsthand that Yankees did sign, re-sign CC and Brett Gardner Uh, First, what's your take on the Yankees bringing back CeCe? And two, does bringing back Brett Gardner ensure that he's the starting left fielder over guys like Clint Frazier or even Andrew McCutcheon, given that they probably won't re-sign him? Right.
1: McCutcheon, I don't get the sense he's going to be coming back. So, uh, I think Gardner's going to have the first crack at left field. I mean, who knows? Everything could get moved around, maybe, let's say you you package Andujar and Hicks in a trade for a starting pitcher, now all of a sudden you've got a lot of maneuverability in in the outfield, I'm not saying the Yankees need to get rid of Aaron Hicks, I'm just saying that that's the kind of player I'd ask for if I was one of the other teams, so um, there's there's a lot of different ways they can fit the puzzle together, as far as bringing back CeCe, um, I'm not shocked, I, I am surprised that it happened so quickly. I, I figured that the Yankees would take care of their other, busi- uh, other business, and then uh, CC would come back to them, say, in January, and they, they'd work out something. But I, I think the price was right for both these guys. They wanted to come back. They're great Yankees. Um, you know, a big part of the clubhouse. Uh, kind of part of the furniture, almost, in a lot of ways. You know, they've been there since that ballpark opened in 2009. It, it would have been weird to – not have them there at least for another year. You don't have to think about that. But I think uh, if you're going into this year counting on Sabathia and Garner for more than just a supporting role, uh, you're probably going to be in trouble there. So I, I think they obviously need to build more around that. It's a good way to start the winter to have those guys in the fold, but they need to do more.
2: Yeah, like you said, CC's probably the head of that locker room. Um, he still got a little bit left in the tank, but definitely going to be there. 5th starter at best. Uh, so the Yankees... Was great last year, honestly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. And the Yankees got under the uh, tax threshold last year, even with the acquisition of Giancarlo Stanton. Um, this is the big free agency uh, market 2019 that the Yankees were waiting for for the past three years or so. Given that they want to improve both pitching and... I think their offense is fine as it is, honestly, even though if they go out and get a guy like Machado, is it still important to the front office and Brian Cashman to stay under that tax threshold? I, I, what I've heard Cashman say
1: is that Al Steinbrenner has not told him he must stay under it. He'd prefer if Cashman stays under it, but, um, you know, that that's like saying, hey, if you go to the grocery store, you know, try not to spend $20 on a steak. Right. <laughs> of course. If you can get 7 Please do. But, you know, I I think that uh, they're in that situation now where um, they want to do what it takes to win. And there was a reason they wanted to reset that luxury tax rate. They wanted to stop putting the money into the other team's pockets. They've done that. And now if they exceed it, um, you know, the, the penalty rate is not fit. I feel like I'm sorry. I feel like that's like for, for, for the Yankees. They already exist. I don't think that at the like, end of the day, the Yankees aren't going to look at, at their balance sheet and say, whoa, that's good. We saved another $10 million. I know we didn't win the World Series, but, um, you know, at least we saved that $10 million. I don't think that's the way the Yankees operate. Um, I, I think that there's so much value in winning a World Series, uh, not just in terms of Kind of cachet with the fan base and and interest, but I mean, it it sells season tickets. I mean, people would be interested in the Yankees. I mean, the YES Network would go nuts if the Yankees were able to win another World Series in 2019. So uh, there's so much value in having a winning team. They came, they came close in 2017, one win away from the World Series, and then obviously to watch the Red Sox celebrate, to have them celebrate the division and the ALDS in their own ballpark. uh, this past year and then go on to win the World Series. I mean, that's just, that's got to leave a bad taste in House Steinberg's mouth and everybody else connected with the, the team. So I, I do think they're going to spend big this off season. I won't, I honestly won't be shocked about any of these big names if they come off the board and they're in pinstripes at Yankee Stadium. So I think anything could happen this off offseason. Um, they, they could, they've got the money, they've got the resources. Uh, they, if the Yankees think it's the right move to, to go get these guys, they can do it. Not every team can say that.
2: Now, the Yankees, we all know what happened in 2017. One win away from the World Series. We're up 3-2 in the ALCS at one point. They lost to the Red Sox this year I was in the there, yeah. yeah. Lost to the uh, Red Sox in the division series. Do you think that the 2018 Yankee team took a step back compared to the 2017, even though the Red Sox were just historically good throughout the entire year? Well- Things based upon the
1: postseason. I mean, look, they, they won 91 games in 2017 and they, they had a nine game improvement over that this past year. So um, I, I think they took a step forward in a lot of ways. I think they were a better team. You had Stan to the, to the middle of that lineup. Um, I, I think they were a better team. They just didn't get it done in October. And, and so a lot of times in these postseason series, uh, the hottest team wins. It's not the best team that wins. But in the case of the ALDS, the best team did win. Um, they, the, the Red Sox were better than the Yankees wire-to-wire wire this year. Uh, they, they, the Yankees had a bad fortune of being in the division with a team that was having a historic season there, um, and we've never seen a Red Sox team that won 108 games before. Uh, we did this year, and so you know, I, I remember Sabathia at one point during the year said, they look up, and they're, I, I guess they're winning 80 or 90 games at the time, and they said, Does it feel like we're having that good of a year? And it didn't. Um, It it didn't, but because you measure yourself against the Red Sox when you're the Yankees, and that's the way it always has been. And, you know, I I think that if you talk to anybody with the Yankees, it's really hard to look up at the end of 2018, uh, despite the 100 wins, despite some of the good things that happened at Yankee Stadium this year, I, it's hard to look up and say, well, that was a good year when the Red Sox won the World Series. So I think that kind of spoils everything, but it, I think it's going motiv- to motivate them to come back and uh, do more and, and make more noise this
2: year. So I got a list here, guys, who sign well, assign or acquire to bring in and guys who shouldn't be brought in. Uh, the first one being a guy left-hander for the Diamondbacks this year has said on record that he wants to be a Yankee, grew up a Yankee fan, and that's uh, Patrick Corbin. I, I think Corbin's probably the top target right now. I, I really
1: do. I think it makes too much sense not to happen. Um, you know, it doesn't hurt that the guy had an Andy Pettit jersey framed on his wall growing up. Right. But I, I think what that you is he'd, he'd love the challenge of pitching in New York. He'd embrace that. Um, it's not a guy you're going to have to go in and sell on – Um, you know, the allure of playing for the Yankees, he gets it. And, um, you know, I I think that – I I know the Diamondbacks kind of smacked him down a little bit and said, hey, what are you doing? You know, when he had those comments in April, um, he kind of was a little more quiet about that Yankee connection after that. But I I think he he made his point and the Yankees heard it. And, you know, looking up his stats from last year, one thing that that jumped out of me, the strikeouts – If he had done that in a Yankee uniform, there's only one Yankee in history who had more strikeouts than that. That's Ron Guidry in 1978. So that was a a Cy Young season for Guidry, and uh, the kind of pitcher that the Yankees haven't really had. Um, You know, a dominant strikeout lefty. I mean, you've seen him over the years, but uh, they certainly didn't have one last year. Uh, But I, I think he'd be a great addition at the top of that rotation.
0: And
2: another lefty here, Yankees acquired him in July, went, oh, what was it, 7-0 and during the regular season, his only loss coming in that ALDS against the Red Sox and Jay hap <laughs>
1: As far as being a professional, I feel like he fit right in. You know, a lot of times you get these guys who just walk into the clubhouse and it feels like they've already been there for, you know, years upon years. I know Todd Frazier was like that in 2017 um, when he came over in that trade. Uh, I think that, um, yeah, know, basically was a guy who showed up, did his job, and, um, I mean, other than that start against the Red Sox in the ALDS, he did everything right, I think. So um, I, I think that uh, – You look at his career track record, this guy's a professional, he knows how to get it done. Um, I I think that he would be near the top of their list of guys to get. I think Corbin would obviously be the first, um, I, I think, half. Hey, plus, you, you know, later in his career here, he'd probably come back and uh, sign for a one- or two-year deal, which I think is appealing for the Yankees in a lot of ways. So um, I think if they can make the dollars make sense, um, he, he's a good fit with the Yankees, and I wouldn't be shocked to see him
2: come back either. And, of course, a lot of those bullpen pieces uh... – on the free agent market this year. Do you go out and re-sign a a guy like David Robertson? I think you look into it.
1: I I do think it's curious that he's representing himself. Um, He's not going in with an agent this year, which made me – my first thought was, well, I wonder if he's already got something worked out with the Yankees. But um, you look up here, and and Gardner and Sabathia obviously made it clear they wanted to come back. That hasn't happened yet with Robertson. I think he's going to test the market. uh, he has a pretty good idea of what he deserves out there, so um, I, I think that a guy like a Robertson would fit. I think that a Zach Britton could fit. Um, yeah, they've got some, some holes to fit in the, uh, fill in, the rotation, in the bullpen as well. I think the priority is obviously going to be the rotation, but uh, you got to have that bridge to a rule to Chapman at the back end, too, and uh, that was the strength of the team last year, so uh, you, you certainly want to keep it that way.
2: And here's another guy who's been so effective when he's healthy, but as been dealing with injuries for the past couple of years. Yankees traded him for Frazier and Sheffield, and that's uh, Andrew Miller.
1: Yeah, you know he had a down year last year. I think that he's the kind of guy. Uh, look, if he was a free agent last year before last season he would have cashed in huge you know he, he picked the wrong year to kind of take a step backward I know he dealt with some injury issues um it, it's something I'd look into if I were the Yankees I don't think it's it, it would be my first choice but I, I know Miller loved being a Yankee and uh grew up he lived in the Tampa area he enjoyed having spring training near his house so um, I, I think I could see that being a fit for him um you know, it's something I'd look into if I were the Yankees, but I don't think he'd be my first choice
2: to put in the bullpen. Here's a guy who's been linked to the Yankees and the Red Sox a little bit this offseason. Not not quite sure if the Diamondbacks are going to budge on anything. Too light for him. He's the face of their franchise. I know the Yankees want to give Luke Voigt a shot, given that they also have Greg Bird on their roster still, and that's uh, first baseman Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, I thought
1: the Yankees might check in more on him. I mean, maybe the asking price is just too high. Um, but um, you know, from everything I understand, that the Yankees aren't really one of the teams that's been in on Goldschmidt. Hey, that can that can turn around in a hurry, I guess. Uh, you know, they could reverse that. But um, hey, I think that uh, my sense right now is that Boyd, they believe it's it's repeatable. That he can actually sustain what he did in the second half of last year, and that was pretty special, honestly. I, I mean. Cashman has said a few times that he thinks Boyd was the best bat traded at the deadline last year, and that includes Machado. I mean, in terms of production, what they gave to the team, uh, I guess that's true. I mean, this guy came out of nowhere. A, a good find by the Yankee analytic crew. Um, I guess they've been on him for a couple of years, and uh, they saw him as an upgrade over Tyler Austin, so... Uh, when you're looking at that right-handed bat, a guy who has minor league options but could be in your starting lineup, I think Boyd, um, he's, he's an intriguing player for the Yankees right now. Um, I think they're going to give a serious look to that. I think they have not completely shut the door on Great Bird. I think Bird's going to have a chance to come into spring training and uh, prove that what happened last year was a fluke and that he can come back from injury. I don't think he was completely healthy, but... Look, if you get a chance to put Paul Goldschmidt in your lineup, I think you say goodbye to Luke Boyd and you say goodbye to Greg Berg and you take your chances. Um, I do know that Goldschmidt is a free agent after this coming year, so that would—that that's the only thing that would kind of give me pause there. If you're going to unload prospects for that guy, you got to get something, uh, some kind of commitment that he's going to stick around for a
2: while because I i don't do that for just one year considering what the Yankees have at first base right now. All right, and staying on the topic of Luke Boyd, I know – you have a lot more insight than most of us other yankee fans do like was that deal like did you have any insight on that deal it was luke voigt for jason shreve and another prospect that deal to me was just kind of like okay i don't really know what we're getting there what what were your thoughts on that deal before everything went down
1: and Gio Gallegos was the other part of that deal. Um, I, You know, honestly, I didn't know much about Luke Boyd. Um, I knew that he was blocked on the, uh, the depth chart in St. Louis. Uh, you looked at the minor league numbers and you said, okay, I, I guess this guy can, looks like he can hit a little bit. Uh, but certainly not a guy that you uh, – He thought a whole lot about coming into the year. Um, Like I said, this was a find by the Yankee analytic crew. I guess they had looked at some of his his numbers, his batted ball velocity, that kind of stuff, and uh, basically they thought this would translate at the big league level if this guy ever got a chance, and boy, did it ever. I mean, uh, down the stretch last year, I mean, he was a home run machine. I remember that uh, after they clinched, uh, I believe it was the wild card, it was one of those celebration uh, uh, – Aaron Judge went up to Voight and hugged him and said, hey, we're not here without you, man. So uh, he made a a very quick impact in a short period of time, and uh, it was impressive to watch. I'm I'm definitely curious to see if uh, he can follow up on that and sustain it going forward into 2019.
2: Yeah, we'll see. I mean, he was only there for two months, and he put up the numbers that he did. We'll see what he can do during the course of the full season, see if any of – any or anybody on anybody's pitching staff could figure him out the final person on this list is obviously the big one who the yankees said they're absolutely not linked to this offseason that'd be the face of the nationals franchise who looks like he's leaving because he turned down a 300 million dollar deal to stay and that's bryce harper yeah i haven't heard that explicitly from the yankees i'm never going to
1: say never Right. Um, i don't see where harper fits for the yankees um uh, you know, obviously, I guess you could put him at first base. It just kind of floated that idea. Um, I, I think that if you had a choice between Harper and Machado, you'd take Machado. Obviously, it makes a lot more sense after the DD injury. But, you know, considering what happened last year with Stanton, I'm never going to stay never with this team. So um, I, I was dead wrong on Stanton. I didn't think there was any way he was going to land with the Yankees. and And here we are. So... Um, I think that if a guy like that falls into their lap, they would probably look into it. Um, And like I said, you could move some parts around this offseason. If Hicks is not on the team, and I I think that he will be, but if he's not, then all of a sudden you have a a place to play Harper. So um, I I think a lot of things can happen. And can you imagine an outfield with uh, guy Aaron Judge and Bryce Harper and Giancarlo Stanton in it? I mean, good gosh. I I think – the Yankees are going to do something splashy this year to, to answer the Red Sox and kind of take away that that victory parade hangover they've got going on up there. And um, you know, getting any, and pulling down any of these guys off the board, I think would uh, would let the Red Sox know that 2019 is coming. And then you know, enjoy enjoy last year, but uh, they'll have to fight for it again in 2019.
2: Ryan, you mentioned like Giancarlo Stanton just came out of nowhere, like Brian Cashman going out and getting him, and they got him for. I mean, they gave up Scarlett and Castro, but that's about it. They took on um, basically about all the remaining uh, dollars that were on that salary. But there was a little bit of talk last year, given that Bryce Harper's on the free agent uh, market this year. Was there ever uh, talk a short while ago about the Yankees potentially flopping Giancarlo Stanton to a team like the Dodgers in order to sign Bryce Harper? I don't know if the Dodgers have the flexibility to do it.
1: Uh, Honestly, I think that if they had, they could have had him last year. Uh, You know, Stanton made it very clear that the Dodgers were his first choice, and uh, that just wasn't going to happen. So if I remember right, it was the Giants and the Cardinals were trying to get Stanton, and he said, uh, no, I, I want I want LA or New York, and um, obviously New York wound up getting him. But I, I think that for a California boy like Stan, he would have loved the idea of uh, playing for the Dodgers. I think that was his favorite team growing up. I, I think he he was a good fit this year in New York. I think he was fine. Um, you know, I, a lot of I, I was curious to see. What it would be like importing a big star into that clubhouse, where um, you know they, they had such a good thing going in 2017, all these baby bombers, the judge, Sanchez, Severino were taking over the room, and it, it was really just a good clubhouse mix. And um, I, I don't sense that Stanton disrupted that at all. I mean, he was a megastar, and he he knows he's good, and um, it was fine having him around. But um, I, I didn't sense that he kind of. Uh, upset the ingredients, so to speak, uh, of what the Yankees had going there. I think it was it was pretty close to the same, just not the same result as 2017.
2: Let's get off the Yankees for just one question. Uh, big award last night, Jacob deGrom winning the Cy Young. What are your thoughts about Jacob deGrom bring, bringing in the Cy Young award this year? I mean, gosh.
1: I, I think for the first thought that comes to mind is the voters got it right. I mean, 29 out of 30 first-place votes. Uh, I mean, this guy was... Uh, one of the most dominant pitchers in in baseball this year. I, I think that every time he took the ball, it was an event. And um, you yeah, know, I think this is this is the kind of thing the Mets hadn't seen since probably Dwight Gooden back in the day. So, um, I, I mean, just electric stuff. Terrific pitcher. I think that uh, I'm I'm happy that a lot of the voters have learned to look past wins as a way to measure pitchers because. Um, you know, you look at the win-loss record, and you, it, theres it's not all that special, but, I mean, dig a little deeper and look into the story and, and watch this guy pitch, and um, it, what he did over the course of the season, whether his team scored runs for him or not, I mean, he did his job. He he can only go and I know he's in the National League, he can help his cause, so to speak, but, I mean, his job is to pitch and to get out, and Jacob DeGrom did that in spades. Um, I think um, the voters definitely got it right on the National League side, and, um, very deserving winner for the Cy Young Award.
2: Now, you say that the writers got that one right. As a Yankee fan and you as a Yankee reporter, I really hope you don't say <laughs> the same thing about it. the yeah. Rookie of the Year. Show. I mean, I kind of get why Otani won, but yeah. at the same time, like he didn't really play any important games this year. Who do you think should have won the AL Rookie of the Year, Shohei Otani or Miguel Andahar? Well,
1: I will tell you, not have a vote for the Rookie of the Year, but if I did, I would have voted for Andujar. Um, Andujar would have been one on my ballot. Otani would have been two. Glaber Torres, three. Um, I, I just thought that Andujar, wire to wire, was consistent for the Yankees. I mean, it's the guy who was supposed to start the year in the minor leagues. Brandon Drury uh, had the migraine issue, and that opened the door for him to get a chance, um, and and he never looked back. Um, Andujar, I think, the extra base hit machine, putting his name alongside guys like Joe DiMaggio in the franchise book. Uh, No AL rookie had ever had more doubles in his rookie season than Andujar did. Fred Lynn with the the Red Sox at 75, he tied that record. I mean, look, Otani is something that we haven't seen since Babe Ruth, and that's special. It is. Um, You know, we've never seen a guy – hit 20-something home runs and make 10 starts in the big leagues. Um, not since back in the day. I, I get it. It was it was awesome to watch. I just didn't think he did it enough. And uh, obviously the voters disagree. Yeah, it, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. But had I had a ballot, um, I would have definitely put it into
2: r one. Yeah, and he played like 50 somewhat less games than he did too. And I've been arguing with my buddy about it. He... Okay, we two, over 280, 20-plus homers, I'm and like, Andrew Hart hit 297, 28 bombs in the middle of a pennant race when guys like Gary Sanchez was hitting 180 and Aaron Judge was out for two months, so. Right. That's just, well, uh, Yeah, I mean, Andrew Hart was a, a huge part of that Yankee team, and I, I'm not... Look, if, they,
1: if he's not on the roster wire-to-wire wire, or if, he's, uh, if he gets hurt or something, they may not even make the playoffs. I don't know, so... Uh, I thought he was a, a big part of that Yankee team. I think that, uh, as I said, if I had a ballot, I would have put Anduhar one. but it, if I had a ballot, it wouldn't have mattered anyway because Otani won it in the landslide. So, what are you going to
2: do? Right. And um, so that was a huge season for Anduhar, especially when Gary Sanchez was hitting 186 like he did, 290 hitter in 2017, 299 in half a season in 2016. It came out that he had soldier surgery just uh, this past week. Do you think that Gary Sanchez's shoulder prevented him from being that 290 hitter he was in 2017?
1: Um, I think it certainly couldn't have helped. It's convenient. It's something you can kind of point to and be like, oh, there was the problem. But I think uh, it probably went a little deeper than that. Um, You know, I I wouldn't look for it to be a magic cure-all fix. I think he'll be better. In, uh, this coming year, just because um, you know, watching him on a day-to-day basis, there were times where he would scorch the ball and he wouldn't get any results for it. And, um, you you kept thinking, oh man, this guy's luck has got to turn around at some point. And I guess it did during the late September and October. He was closer to the the hitter that he should have been. Uh, but yeah, that was just uh, a very strange season for Gary Sanchez um, because I, I feel like. If you did that season over a bunch more times, you'd get different results. I I think that there was some bad luck to it. Obviously, this shoulder thing, we didn't know about it all. So um, nobody was talking about it. Sanchez kept it very quiet. I guess he got a cortisone shot or two during the, the course of the year or so. You hope that uh, obviously it was bothering him enough that he decided enough with the cortisone shots, just, you know, let's get surgery and clean it up. Um, I know he'll be coming into spring training as a rehab player, and you you hope that um, he's ready for opening day. If he's not, Austin Romine and Kyle Higashioka could handle the duties behind the plate for a little while, but uh, the Yankees say that Sanchez should be back 100% for spring training, and so I guess we'll see what happens. I do think that uh, what Gary did in 2016 and 17 were not an accident. I think that he is one of the better offensive catchers in the game. Uh, like I said, 2018 is just a very strange year for him. And you know, maybe at the end of all this, you look at the back of his baseball card, and you, you're going to see nine, ten great seasons and one really terrible one, and just say, "What happened there?" Uh, so I guess we'll see.
2: Yeah, and just imagine you get that Gary Sanchez from 2016-2017, a full year of judge, another mammoth year from Stanton, and then bring in a guy like Manny Machado who could put, easily put up 335. Um, so this, these last couple questions are more about you than the Yankees since I'm a guy who wants to get into the sports journalism field. What was your favorite interview as a reporter during your entire career? Wow,
1: favorite Interview, yeah, that is tough. You know, the, the first one that comes to my mind, I don't know if I, this will hold up as my favorite of all time, the more I think about it. But I, anytime I get to talk to some of these legends from the past, um, that's really, really cool for me. And, and, you know, at one point, it was cool to talk to, say, uh, Mike Piazza or Derek Jeter, or you know, the, the stars of when I was growing up. Um, that was cool. But I mean, talking to the guys from the fifties and the sixties, like I um, I got to t- sit down with Whitey Ford for ten or fifteen minutes, and that was really cool. It was almost like you were sitting down with you know Frank Sinatra back in the day, and just kind of you know touching another era of Yankee history. Um, you know, I, when you're talking to, a guy, I got to interview Hank Aaron once at a, I believe it was a, a World Series or an All Star game. I mean, these guys, those legends of Cooperstown. That that's really cool. I, I remember. We were in spring training and uh, the the Yankees were in Kissimmee and um, Nate Ovalde was on the team that year and um, he was from Alvin, Texas as was Nolan Ryan. i saw nolan ryan in the dining room and i said well this is my opportunity to go talk to nolan ryan and i thought It couldn't have been nicer It was awesome it was so cool to talk to a guy that's who i just uh, yeah, talked to uh, and so that was cool um yeah those things really stand out in my mind as you put me on the spot here to talk about that
2: yeah those are some great interviews uh you mentioned about talking to guys from the past, 28, or, yeah, 2008, September 2008, the final night at Yankee Stadium. I was kind of scrolling through your Instagram page before you came on here. You were actually taking pictures on the mound playing catch around like 3 in the morning at the old stadium after the uh, final game. Talk about the atmosphere that night of the final game at the old Yankee Stadium. I mean, it was it was, it
1: was, was. Great. Um, very, I, I remember it vividly. Um, you, you felt like you were saying goodbye to a friend. Um, it, it was really hard to believe that that was going to be the last time I set foot in that building and uh, covered a game there. You know, I remember like, it was tough because the Yankees uh, were all about postseason greatness, and, and they weren't going to the postseason that year. So it was just strange for September 21 to be the last day that the Yankee Stadium was going to be operating. But I remember. Uh, walking around the warning track with the fans before the game, and uh, fans were kind of—they were all they, seven hours before the game. Fans were allowed to come in and, and walk the warning track, and I saw people crying and taking pictures with their click cameras up against like the 408 sign in center field, or 314 in right field, and rubbing their hands in the dirt and uh, putting their handprints on the wall in right field, and it was—it was just kind of. Uh, you were saying goodbye to a friend in a place that, that was so special in so many people's minds, and um, you know, I, I remember seeing guys bending over and pretending to tie their shoe so they could uh, scoop some dirt into their shoe, and then they brought home some of the, the Yankee Stadium warning tracks. So um, the game, I honestly don't remember much of. You know, it, I'm working on a book right now, which is about the Yankees ten years after the oh9 World Series. So a big part of that is moving from the old stadium to the new one. So I've kind of gone back and read a lot of the stuff from that time. And, um, you know, I I know that uh, the Yankees beat the Orioles 7-3 and Jose Molina hit the last home run. And Brian Roberts grounded out to first base for the final out. So I've kind of refreshed my memory on a lot of that. But what I remember most about that day was walking around the ballpark. It was probably like 5 o'clock. And I said, I'm not going to get this opportunity again. So I left the ballpark, and, you know, we had been done. We talked to the players or whatever we did, and um, I walked out of the press gate, and I decided I'm going to do one full lap of the ballpark around and just kind of take this all in because there's, there's never going to be another game here. And so, you know, just kind of seeing the fans and taking in the smells of the hot dogs and the sausage. And, uh, you know, I, I remember Harlan Chamberlain it was job his dad was like – Shaking hands and signing autographs out behind the left field wall, and, uh, and the ticket scalpers were trying to sell for exorbitant amounts of money, and people were, you know, uh, trying to get that. And I remember that the Stadium, Oregon, you could hear it from uh, outside the ballpark on the right field side. And so that was cool to just kind of take that lap around the block and think about all the people who had been there before. and um, you know, I mean, it's generation to generation. Gosh, Babe Ruth played in that building. Not the exact same building, but, uh, close enough to that patch of land. Lou Gehrig played there. Uh, Mantle, DiMaggio, just the uh, Yogi Berra. That was, uh, that was a really cool night. Um, I think that, uh, Jeter's speech still stands out to me as one of the best of all time. The fact that he did that off the cuff and hit all the right notes, um, I think he nailed it, and yeah, just uh, thinking about that night. I finished writing whatever I wrote. Um, you know, I remember writing seven, eight, nine stories for Yankees.com that night. And, um, finally, went down to the field, and a buddy of mine, Pete Caldera, who covers the Yankees for the Bergen Record, we went down together. And um, we first thing we did was we took a couple coffee cups and we scooped up some dirt from home plate and filled those up. and Um, And then I said, I noticed some of the employees were playing catch out on the field, and I said, hey, you know, I got gloves out in my car, and so I ran out to the the press parking lot, which was at the time the same as the player parking lot. They don't let us park with the players anymore, but at the time you could, and so I ran out, got my glove, and and we played catch down uh, the first baseline, which was really, really cool, and I took a couple off the mound, and... Um, yeah, just a really special night there at Yankee Stadium. I remember walking out at 3.30 in the morning and thinking, I wish I didn't have to leave.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. So I have two more questions for you, both actually coming about uh, two your books. Uh, the first one, The Baby Bombers, inside the story of the next Yankees dynasty. Tell me a little bit about that book.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's the story of how the Yankees went from the Derek Jeter era that we all talk about the core four and uh, the transition there from Jeter's gone in 2014, and it's like, who are the Yankees going to be now? And and so we went into a lot of the backstory of where um, Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez and Luis Severino came from, and how the Yankees were able to shift on the fly and and uh, really make that kind of bold decision at the deadline in July of 2016 to to tear it down and uh, trade away some of those prospects. Realize that uh, adding more overpriced veterans to the pile was not going to cure this and what they needed to do was start fresh and and really begin a new with these guys. So uh, I was those guys, say Alex Rodriguez and the Derek Jeters and the the Posadas and Pettits, I mean, they're all part of the story but I feel like uh, that, that book is The Baby Bombers, and uh, you, you find out how the Yankees made that decision on the inside, what was going on behind closed doors, how they were able to make those trades to get guys like Clint Fraser, Justice Sheffield, Glaber Torres, and um, actually, we're doing a uh, paperback update of that book that'll be out next spring, too, so uh, we'll have uh, new chapters, new stuff in there. I'm sure I'll be writing a, a ton about Anduar and Glaber Torres and what they were doing this year. And, um, Some of John Carlos
2: Stanton as well. Well, there you go. So, last question before I let you go. You mentioned it a little bit before working on catching up with the 0-9 team ten years later. Tell me a little about, a bit about the project yourself and Mark Fine said have been doing the catch up with the 0-9 team. Are you guys catching up with like literally everybody on the roster or just like the key players of the roster? Tell me a little bit about that. We have
1: gotten everybody from top to bottom, from your A rod and the, from the. Corey Farzada and you know, Joe Girardi to uh, the, the strength and conditioning coach and the the PA announcer. And, I mean, we have gone top to bottom to the broadcasters. I mean, gosh, I, mean, I, I, I don't know an exact number of how many people we've interviewed, but it's got to be more than 100. So, I mean, we have been just talking to everybody who was had any connection to that 2019 because it was such a special time in, in Yankee history, as I mentioned, you know, going from the old stadium to a new one. And, um, they, they spent all this money on Sabathia and A.J. Burnett and Nick Swisher. And, well, they traded for Swisher, but uh, Mark Teixeira and, and bringing in these big names and uh, just uh, a lot of cool
2: stories to tell. I'm not going to give them away. You'll have to wait for the book to come right. out. Right, understandable. Um, I
1: will, yeah. But I will say there's uh, there's definitely some stuff in there that uh, you'll say, oh my gosh, I can't believe that was happening. I, I had no idea. And so it's been cool to catch up ten years later. I feel like uh, that was a fun team. That was a loose team with Johnny Damon and Swisher, and um, you know AJ Burnett with the pies. I mean that was something we hadn't seen in the in Yankee years gone by. You know I, I remember I, I covered Tories last year as manager, so. Um, I remember what that felt like, and then I remember what 09 felt like, and it was just night and day. And this was a team that came to the ballpark, they they knew they were going to have fun, they had fun, they were going to kick your ass because they knew that you were good, and they had fun doing it, and um, and they, uh, they they, followed through. They were put together to, to win a World Series, uh, to honor George Steinbrenner in that final year. And, Open the new ballpark, and, and they did what they were supposed to do and, and beat the uh, the Phillies in that six-game World Series. So um, it's been really cool to kind of open up the history books. And, you know, as I'm reading stuff that I wrote in 2009, it's like I've forgotten half of it too. So I'm reading it for the first time as well, even though I was the one that wrote it. So it's really cool to kind of open that up and um, kind of revisit that time because now that you look back nine, ten years later, you, you start to get a sense of how special it was. Um when it was happening, you're just kind of trying to keep your head above water, and you're, uh, you're you're just kind of going day by day, trying not to not to mess it up. But now you look back and you know you know the ending. Um, you know at, at the end of the book, the Yankees are going to win the World Series. But it's how they got there that was really cool. And uh, like I said. Uh, these guys have told a lot of really good stories, and uh, I mean, it, you could tell it was just a group that genuinely enjoyed being around each other. It helped that they won a lot, but I, I think they
2: really liked each other's company as well. Right. You mentioned how a lot of things in that book will make you say, "Wow, I can't believe that happened." When you brought up the pies and Burnett, I'm like, I totally forgot that that even happened. That was like my entire childhood. I remember being in the backyard with my brother doing that after our wiffle ball game. So definitely gonna go out. Yeah. <laughs> insane. So did you
1: know in the did you time it was whipped cream and not shaving cream? Well, I will tell you one thing. There was one game where um, I, I guess for some reason they had run out of whipped cream or uh, AJ forgot to tell the guy. They, they had a can of whipped cream they eventually because they had 15 walk-offs that year. And so they t- AJ told the clubhouse guy you got to always have whipped cream ready because we're doing this all the time and you got to have it right in the refrigerator outside the clubhouse. Um, so he runs down there. It's it's a game where Nick Swisher gets a walk-off. I think it was in early September. And A.J. runs down there, and uh, the shaving – the whipped cream is gone. And so I guess for some reason they're out of whipped cream for the day. He runs into the bathroom. He goes and gets some uh, Barbasol shaving cream. He, he puts it in the, the towel, and he runs up behind Swisher. And Swisher's talking to Kim, on the field. And A.J. – gets in his ear really quick while he's still running up the stairs he says close your eyes it's shaving cream
2: (laughs) swisher Swisher said all right man whatever bro
1: like do it do it And uh, so yeah if you look at that picture uh, of swisher and there's a great shot of him he turns around to the fans and he's kind of like got his he's got his fists up and he's flexing his muscles and so that's shaving cream on his face. So it, kind of cool stuff like that to just tell stories that we didn't get to in 2009 or that maybe got overlooked. And um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a fun read for anybody who was a fan of the Yankees at that time.
2: Oh, for sure. Mission 27. And you guys literally went top to bottom, like almost everybody on the roster.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it's really cool to find out what some of these guys are doing now, too. You know, I mean, and look, we know what... A-Rod's doing, and Mark is doing, and we know Robbie Cano's still playing, and CeCe and Guardy, they were very available, but to kind of catch up with the coaching staff was cool. Um, we, we spent an afternoon with Girardi at the MLB Network Studios, which was fun. Um, I, I will tell you, the weirdest interview we did was A-Rod, because um, he, he said he wanted, first of all, we were gonna do it by phone, and then we got a call later that day, and Alex said, come meet me in the city, so of course we went, and um, we get there, and he's on the he's on the 17th floor of this apartment building uh, on Park Avenue, and uh, he comes in in a three-piece suit, and he says. Um, how much time you guys have? I was like, well, we're here as much time as you have, Alex, we're, you know? And um, he says, well, I got to get to Fallon. Uh, Jennifer is going to be on. She wants me to be there when I'm in the makeup chair, when she's in the makeup chair. So can we just do this in the car? And it's like, all right, we're going to go like six blocks in your, in your car. But uh, it turned out to be great. J-Lo got stuck in traffic, so uh, we, we were sitting outside 30 Rockefeller Center while uh, – Um, j-lo was trying to get to the jimmy fallon show and we talked to him for about an hour and then we talked another hour on the phone and um you know obviously for alex that was such a special year because uh it it started as a nightmare for him and it ended in um just you know the best
2: year of his career so um definitely a, a lot of cool stuff from alex in that book too yeah that's right
0: i'm so bummed i forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow and now it's sold out it's her freaking birthday oh dude she's definitely totally gonna break up with you she's definitely gonna break up with me should have used tick pick wait what'd you say tick
1: pick look oh whoa, 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 whoa. what there are no hidden fees what'd you guys think i said oh tick pick i thought you said tick pick no hidden fees download today